You are listening to The Playlist Podcast, a series of brief discussions about contemporary cinema. I'm Eric McClanahan. And I'm Nicholas Bell. You can find all episodes of this podcast and our other shows at theplaylist.net. This episode is brought to you by Arrow Video's new Blu-ray release, Female Prisoner Scorpion, The Complete Collection. This gorgeous box set features all four films in the Female Prisoner Scorpion series. And though they've been difficult to access until now, their influence looms large even today. And so, we discuss the films, star Meiko Kaji's iconic performances, and the thrill of watching great 70s exploitation cinema. All right, I'm here again with Nick Bell from Ion Cinema, and uh, we're going to you know, do something that we haven't done yet on the podcast, but something I am really have been wanting to do and uh, bring more of to this podcast is kind of taking a, 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 a deeper look at the home video market that still exists today in 2016. You know, <laughs> DVDs have been dying, you know, like the sales have dropped off, Blu-rays definitely don't sell like DVDs did in their heyday, you know, a decade ago when they were just, you know, crazy sales figures would add so much to a movie's bottom line. You know, there are a lot of movies that got sequels greenlit because of DVD sales uh, uh, in the past. And, you know, we're, we're not really in that era anymore because we're in a streaming era and more and more things are just becoming easily streamable that you don't need uh, hard media so much anymore. A lot of you know, movie lovers just have opted to go the streaming route for a lot of obvious reasons. But Nick, you, you like me, uh, still have uh, a a very extensive, uh, extensive DVD and Blu-ray collection. And I just would love, you know, kicking things off is like, what, what does that mean to you beyond just like, you know, our sort of obsessive movie nerdness that compels us to like collect everything, you know, hoard all these titles, but what do you think is important still about like the home, like having hard media still today? I, it's at your fingertips. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're not dependent on Wi-Fi or internet service or cable, and you know you have a hankering to watch something that uh, you know. There's m- most things aren't available streaming, especially older titles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I have a, a little arsenal of things I can just pick out from the shelf. Like I have a library. Um, or when you want to share it with people, when you meet new people. I mean, that, to me, that's what, when I, you know, I have movie nights. Like, that, that's what owning uh, a hard copy does for me. Um, yeah, well, and, you know, compared to streaming, too, I, I think it's actually pretty important to, to bring this up. Not to get too technical about it, but there is a world of a difference between the quality when you look at a really well-done Blu-ray transfer um, versus, you know, even an HD stream on Netflix. You know, Netflix is really great. Their streaming has been pretty consistently great. Um, uh, I use Mubi. They're a smaller streaming service. They, they, they've they gotten better even in the last year since I've subscribed to them. You know, there's all these other offshoots, Fandor. There's the larger competitor to Netflix, Amazon. They all have pretty solid HD streaming. Um, but there's no comparison. Like when you really look at a Blu-ray versus uh, an HD stream, even with a really good Wi-Fi, uh, unless it's that this new um, 4K streaming that Netflix is starting to introduce, it's it's really not going to compete. And Blu-rays, by and large, I can you know I can attest as a projectionist at a movie theater, a Blu-ray almost looks as good as a DCP uh, projection. A really good Blu-ray transfer can almost you know, hold up against a really great modern DCP digital projection. The thing that 
basically 98% of the theaters in the world are using now. Um, And you can't do that with an HD stream. If you were to blow up that image, you're going to eventually start to see the pixelated cracks in it and it's not going to look as good. Um, So I think that alone is still, uh, you know, we're we're not probably that far off from HD streaming getting, it's only going to get better and better, but I'm with you too, is like the, the thrill, there still is an important need for, you know, Blu-rays and the home video market, because if you want actual access to a lot of great, let's just say mostly more obscure titles, you're not going to get them streaming. You know, like if it, if it shows up on one of the smaller systems like Mubi or Fandor, I think there's a new one coming soon called Filmstruck. That sounds really great. Uh, the one that's going to get all the Criterion titles. You've probably heard about this when it was announced a few months ago. Yes. Yeah. Like very excited for all these smaller, like art house um, focused streaming services coming, you know, like that's important because those titles just get just, they disappear a lot after, you know, festival runs and things like that, or the films from the past, they just don't get life on the bigger mainstream outlets like Netflix and Amazon. Um, So those are important, but Blu-rays are still the main place for that. And uh, I got to say, uh, one the reason we're bringing this up on this episode is because a really great one a great box set has been released by arrow video and um uh it's the female prisoner scorpion uh the let's see the complete collection so it's a set of all four films in this series we'll dive into the series of course and it's uh early 70s japanese titles exploitation titles like i said we'll dive into that but um, I really just want to know, like, how familiar are you with Arrow Video? Because this is, like, only one of the few, like, um, recent Blu-rays of theirs that I've seen. But it appears to me as though they're really starting to move up in this market and compete with the likes of, like, the Criterion Collection, the better-known, um, you know, home video uh, distributors. Yeah, uh, Arrow Video, I'd say uh, they rival Criterion, but what they choose to bring i mean you know they do they do mostly grindhouse exploitation cinema so the the quality of the works themselves uh may not be able to compete with criterion in some cases because there's a lot that they do put out what i would call affectionately crap <laughs> or like like what did i just get a copy of microwave massacre like <laughs> wow um that, so there's there's some stuff like that you can weed through but they also are the only distribution label that's putting such loving restoration uh, work on on genre and exploitation cinema that most people, I think, find beneath them or not worthy of that. Um, so they're, they're definitely a label to appreciate. Uh, and I do think that they are getting better. And uh, th- they have some great box sets uh, that have come out. Even if the films aren't that great, like what the just the the love and care in the packaging, I mean, it's impressive. Right, and that's that's the other like real big comparison on to Criterion is you know anybody that's familiar with the Criterion collection probably like you and me geeks out over the cover art that they choose. You know, it's when they announce new releases, I'm always checking to see like oh what's the cover and like the font that they're going to go with. I I love that stuff. I love I fetishize it. And Arrow is without a doubt making their own stamp in that realm of like, you know, really providing you with beautiful cover art posters, special features. They're, they're definitely competing, but yeah, they're, they're, they're doing that same loving. They're giving that loving care to stuff that is, yeah, more grindhousey. Uh, Criterion's not opposed to that, you know, like they're, 
they'll, they'll put out the title every, you know, like that, but it does seem like Arrow is like more, um, just forthright with that. Um, one, a few that I've also seen, uh, the Brian De Palma film sisters has a really beautiful Blu-ray put out by Arrow. Um, and then one I revisited rec- uh, or found recently and, and saw for the first time was this Giallo movie called What Have You Done to Solange? Have you oh, seen yeah. it? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Man, first off, great film. I'd say that's one of the better Giallos I've ever seen. Um, but also, I just was blown away by the like the cover art and the, the transfer quality of this, of oh, this yeah. Blu-ray. Definitely. Yeah, and you know that that of course I think that's I, I feel like that's plenty of prologue to to really get us to to let us dive into this uh, female prisoner scorpion box set because this is as as you mentioned this is this is pure grindhouse pure exploitation if you're gonna get into Japanese genre cinema from like any era you're gonna get some stuff like they they just push things you know they push trans transgressive elements in cinema to like a whole other degree that we just can't imagine if you're only watching American films. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, you know, a long storied and strong history of, of some great exploitation movies from the U S but once you get into these, these Japanese titles and the, 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 these from other countries like this, like you really start to open up to what was possible in genre cinema. And, um, that's where I kind of want to start with female prisoner scorpion is man, these, for for all you know, for for on their surface being you know they have rape revenge elements to them. There's women in prison elements to all the movies in this series. Um, very clear you know exploitation elements that are all there, but yet it's all elevated by this like this sort of grab bag of just cinematic like just using any any like bold idea you can to to elevate the material essentially and. Finding finding these films and getting to see them, the biggest pleasure was like, holy shit, these are this is like really impressive filmmaking going on. Um, at least for me in the first three films that uh, are directed by the same director, uh, Shunya Ito. Yes. Uh, you can really just get the feel of like, this is a guy who is like, got a lot of ideas and he's sort of putting them all in service into these first few movies of his in his filmography. And you can, it's sort of the joy of discovering a director and seeing a, a talented filmmaker at the beginning of their career because they, you get the sense that like they think they might not ever get to make another movie. Yeah. So they just throw everything in there. And um, that was, that was like an immediate highlight for me just starting this series right away. Yes, I agree. Um, you know, she, the, so they all star the same woman. Um, Mako Kaiji. Mako Kaiji, who is actually something of, you know, if you look at her filmography, she's she's kind of an unsung, at least to Western audiences, um, genre staple. Yeah. I mean, because Criterion, which I was put earlier this year, put out uh, Lady Snowblood in its sequel. Which, which is also just a, an, a, a fantastic set that they put out, for sure. Right. And... Um, and then Arrow also put her uh, in Blind Woman's Curse. They released that earlier this year. Like she, she's she's got a lot of iconic stuff. Um, oh, and the Stray Cat Rock series, which is yep. from the same director as the fourth installment of Female Scorpion. Okay, uh, but but I, I think that people seem to only have been familiar with Female Scorpion because Tarantino. Uh, as he usually does uh, usurped the song for Kill Bill Volume Two, the main theme song. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I've heard it before, but then what, reading all the subtitles and catching all the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you get the song at the beginning of each film and at the end. And yeah, yeah. The, the lyrics are so, 
like I, it's there's one line in there that we you you bleed once a month and that should be enough for like something like that or yeah. that should help it's like okay <laughs> they just there's like this they're just you know, and I think it speaks to the time. Amazingly, these four films all came out in 1972 and 1973, which is mind-blowing to me. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. But they all, um, you know, it speaks to the time where they're, they're just sort of unafraid to put these sort of extremely transgressive and just things that are going to definitely rub people the wrong way. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, context is important. Uh, especially because we're looking at these movies from 2016 eyes. And I think a lot of people, if they give this a chance, which I think both of us are um, recommending you do, um, whether you, you are lucky enough to live in a city where you can rent these movies or you want to buy, you're a collector. You, I just think like, just, you know, not to be too commercial about it, but I, I say like, this is a package worth owning. Um, but you need context, you know, because like there are a lot of, crazy troubling things that happen in these films but at heart you've got this iconic performance by Mako Kaji who yes is also known from Lady Snowblood and um I gotta say like she doesn't speak much in these roles in Lady Snowblood or in the female prisoner scorpion movies but damn it if she isn't just like an incredible presence on in front of the camera so much is done with just close-ups and her eyes um, and like her look, you know, this film is, these films are very like designed and she's sort of, um, I, I get the sense that Ito, the director, at least of the first three films was very, he was using her in a way that like Hitchcock would use his actors as sort of like, you know, he, he's just gonna, she's a pawn for him to sort of frame just as he needs her and she'll give him everything he needs visually. Um, and it's just feels like a really great marriage of like what she can bring as a performer. And he, you know, brings to life, um, you know, as a very cinematic storyteller. And that's the exciting thing in these movies. Um, and also the thrill of the, um, you know, I don't know, like there's a lot of great special features on these Blu-rays of different, um, critics, uh, Gareth Evans, the director of the raid movies talks about them as being big influences, but they all acknowledge the inherent misogyny and the icky, like inevitable, the rape sequences that come about in every, every one of these titles. It's, it's troubling, but yet like if you can look at it in that era, it's like unfortunate that these movies had like as a prerequisite, these things had to be like included. It was like clearly like producer notes, but I do think this one stands out in terms of it's trying to push beyond that. And I do think Ito is making um, some very pointed, like cultural uh, political statements, you know, like there's a lot of Japanese iconography mixed with a lot of feminist. Oh iconography. yeah. The create, <laughs> How he uh, uses the Japanese flag as a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the most on-the-nose metaphor you can. Like, there's sequences where, like, a white cloth has uh, menstrual blood poured on it, and it shapes into the Japanese flag. Like, very beautiful, vivid imagery, but, you know, on the nose. To right, 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 right. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the other thing, when you make films, like, women in prison films, like, you know, rape does happen. It's just, you know, some of these have a garish, exploitational quality. But, you know, I think that he plays a lot with uh, Ito plays a lot with uh, the notion of female agency. Um, you know, she, in the first film, she, her powers of manipulation that are quite elaborate. Uh, she yeah. gets this other prisoner to stab the eye out of the warden, which is awesome, which is awesome. And, but you know, having to do with the male gaze, there's a sequence where like her image basically transpires uh, in front of us, like, 
through a male, a man's eyes. Um, mm-hmm. About, but you know, it's about playing with the, the male gaze, and she, his, he gets blinded, and then later there's a gang rape sequence where you see it reflected through his absent eye. <laughs> right. Well, and then that's touched on in the second film. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Jailhouse 41, where at the, the final shot, essentially, or the penultimate shot of like reflected through his eye. Yeah. That's an incredible, incredible. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. She gets the last laugh in that film, but, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, um, you know, through that eye. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the, the sort of context I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you bring up that I wanted to give for these movies because if you do approach these movies, if you, if you're finding out about them from us for the first time and you do, you're curious to seek them out. You just, that's the thing to remember is like the way these things are portrayed. It's not just, um, I think a lot of these movies in, in this subgenre from this era were not made with this much care or thought, you know, and, beyond the stylistic, like the awesome stylistic imagery, the, like the music and the editing, like all these cinematic tools that are used to make the film like really heightened and beautiful and amazing is there are, there is that angle you have to look at of like the rape scenes are an unfortunate, like thing that seemed to be required of these movies just because of it's an, it's like an exploitation movie. But Ito, I think does try to work in these things of like any rape scene is happening from the perspective where you're just seeing all these disgusting men, all the men are disgusting, horrible, and they represent a really awful, like patriarchal society that is keeping these women down and find all these women inherently evil. You know, Uh, Mako, Mako Kaji is throughout these series is considered inherently evil by the men trying to track her down Um, for no other reason than she's fighting back against these assholes that have been oppressing her and i think that's kind of awesomely complex for such a a skeezy sort of subgenre of movies it's it's it really female um, d- the, as a discovery and finding these movies this year for me and like getting to see these is like feels really like like some of these are like my favorite the first two movies are like i would really put these high up and just films that i love because it it does find a great balance of the high and the low and i think this is something you and i have always bonded over of like we love the artiest of art films but also man if you can really deliver on a b movie oh yeah there's thrills, nothing like it <laughs> there really is and especially the marriage of the two with the, with this series and with Ito's vision in particular in the three, the first three films, I thought the fourth, the fourth um, end of the series was, was like solid, but really felt lacking in the, just the energy and visceral cinematic pleasure to be had, yeah. but yeah, but yet was still like solid, but man, those first three films I think are really just, um, there's something yeah. to behold, man. I think uh, the second one's probably the, the most well-made and the most uh, enigmatic, but I really, there are lots of things in Beast Stable. Yeah. I mean, were really entertaining. Like uh, the the villain, the woman who kind of looks as as though she's got a very masculine look, but dresses in these outrageous uh, outfits. Is that that was yeah. something that stood out for me? Yeah, the the supporting character, well, the the prostitute that's pregnant from her brother, her hand, her mentally handicapped brother, locked up in the house. Yep. Uh, yeah, who gets raped with a golf club, which is kind of grisly. But yeah, the main villain who looks like, um. Madam Ginsling revamped for Funeral Parade of Roses. <laughs> Deep cuts in the references. Like, like, like that's all I could, like, she's, you know, she's fabulous. <laughs> uh, and has the, these cage of crows. <laughs> oh, it's so cool, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's, well, and the unfortunate part, though, that starts to happen in that segment is uh, Scorpion starts to kind of fade into the background almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of all the crazy outlandishness going on 
And then, and then the end of Be Stable, just it's kind of like Ito just got tired. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt, and maybe there's uh, maybe you know more. It's like I'm not sure exactly why he left the series after this one. Maybe to make other films. Are you? Do you know? Or I don't know. He he has a kind of a limited filmography, but he did make other films after these three. But he just kind of stopped. And then the uh, God, I don't want to butcher his name, but Yasuhiro Sibe, who did the Stray Cat Rock series with uh, with the actress Meiko Kaji. Yeah, Michael, I, I keep wanting to mispronounce her name. Um, <laughs> he kind of seemed to just step in to give this final closing chapter, but um, I, I couldn't find out why. Yeah. But everything changed. The production design of the cinematographer, like a whole new crew came in um, to complete it. And I do think that's like as much as the fourth one has its merits, it still has Meiko Kaji giving, you know, like that iconic performance. It does seem like it's like a pale imitation of everything that Ito just like seemed to have inherently brewing inside him of like this creativity that just had to come out. Whereas the fourth one, Hasebe seems like he's 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 just trying to maintain as much as he can that what you come to expect from the previous movies. But it just feels like a pale imitation in a lot of ways. Right, because it brings it brings her back to prison, and then right. <laughs> in this kind of very ridiculous scenario where she has to counsel that woman, and then makes you know <laughs> makes her upset right before she dies. Like, uh, <laughs> right? Which which uh, that actress in there is uh, Fukusaku's wife. The, okay, uh, the guy who made is that the director of uh, Battle Royale, Kinji Fukusaku? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I believe he also made the battles without. Honor and Humanity series. Yep, which Arrow also released. Right? right, is a box set I would love to get my hands on. And Meiko Kaji, I think, appears in one of those films, at least. Um, yeah, yep, she did work with him. I don't remember the title at the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, I want to say it's part two. But yeah, another really, man, deep, crazy, like, awesome genre series. The, a, a big takeaway for me in watching a movie like this on home video, you know, but seeing something from the past... And for me, admittedly, I really love the cinema of the late 60s and especially the 70s, like be it American films or, you know, films like this from Japan or other places is they just seem to be operating on a level of like unafraid to transgress, unafraid to upset people, not to be nothing. Nothing was considered four quadrant. I don't even know if that term existed then. And you got a more pure sort of distillation of a a point of view from the filmmaker, from the artists making these movies. And I find that really exciting. And yet this movie can still deliver on the genre thrills. And, and really to me, it, it, the framing, the look, the lighting of the, the female prisoner scorpion series is very comic book. Like yet we live in the era of comic book movies and nothing looks as vivid, exciting, or has as much of a point of view. It's more comic book movies today kind of represent the studio system as it exists, the sort of factory outlet of, a certain, you know, Marvel movies are sort of consistently good for most people, but they, they're sort of churning out their McDonald's hamburgers. That's going to taste the same as the last one. Whereas you can't say that for these films. And I guess I'd love for some of more point of view to seep into those movies because they're already making modern comic book movies. Most of them are making lots of money, man. I'd love to see a little bit more adventurous storytelling, a little more adventurous visualizing of, of, actual comic book stories because when you can go back 40 some years later and see a Japanese movie that's not based on any comic book stuff but has like that kind of you know visual style and iconography it's like 
it just it, it's like man why can't they just be this exciting and interesting today that'd be great I know it, it is disappointing um, but you know it's not like these films were made without an audience in mind you know because you know they, they do have elements that you know are inspired to titillate and draw a certain type of person in at the time um, but they they were movies that weren't the, I feel like studio filmmaking now is make a film that everybody wants to see but as other greater people have said movies made for everyone aren't for anyone at all because yep <laughs> so I, I think that's what's disappointing is just you know when you're writing if you're writing your own fiction you know one of the, the everybody's know your audience but you can't have everybody as your audience like <laughs> it's true it's even the movies that are the biggest hits of all time you know like if you really look at it there's only so many people that actually saw that 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 movie. You know, there are many right. more people on this earth, so you're never gonna please. You're just not gonna be able to please everybody, right? And and I think that that is in, in that with a mixture of you know this uh, political correctness that we're drowning in. Like, don't offend anybody at all ever. I mean, you know, offending people is also how we learn and move forward too, right? Right. Like, and, and how we learn how people want to. Be treated or accepted, or you know, there there's a lot of good to be taken from that, uh. as opposed to shutting it out. You know, sort of la la la, close my eyes, plug my ears. I do feel like that's an issue I'm seeing in modern movie going. Is like if it doesn't appeal to all my political or social beliefs, I reject this movie. I don't even want to. I don't even want to wrestle with it or approach it. Right. As right. if as if to say that you know portrayal is the same as like. Um, pushing forward a message, you know, portraying something doesn't necessarily mean you believe that. Right, right. That that filmmakers aren't champions of racists just because there's a race character, you know. Right. Ito is not championing rape and he doesn't make it look sexy in any ways. He makes it look awful the way it should. So we experience how awful it is for a woman to be taken advantage of in this horrible way. You know, like I felt that. And it, 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 it strengthens the film he's telling because now we're in her corner when she's going to get her, her ass-kicking revenge. I do want to deal with that stuff and open my mind to, like, you know, gain empathy, I think, right, is, right. is something you know, that comes. Like, when you watch films about the Holocaust or slavery, you should recoil. You should feel the horror of it. Otherwise, it's cheap exploitation. And, like, but, you know... You should you should realize that this happened, and this is the the subject matter we're dealing with, and it's not pretty. But not everything has to be pretty. Not all characters have to be likable, and not everything should be geared about making a profit only. Like, yep, you know, that, that that all those things. That's what's frustrating to me. Totally. Come for the uh, the the amazing like visual style. Again, you know, the, all the the amazing like filmmaking going on. The seriously iconic performance by Meiko Kaji who for me is just like an all-time just awesome actress that I think anybody that watches these movies is just going to think like who is this woman like who like she's still alive too I wish like I could see some modern films with her and maybe I have and I just wasn't aware of her but you know come to like find out who this woman is like her her character in this movie is an iconic Japanese action hero hero yeah, um yeah. it's it's influenced Tarantino as you alluded to um not only her lady snowblood character but this character too uh the um the female the scorpion but the look her look when she um she has very certain outfits that she wears throughout the series. And you always in each film at some point, see her in this very awesome black outfit with the hat. Oh, 
you know, what do you know? Sion Sono, a favorite direct modern Japanese director of mine, he he touched on that in his uh, his masterpiece, Love Exposure. I I had. Do you remember when the lead character he dresses up as Scorpion at, at several points in the movie? Um, That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, when he when he cross dresses, he uh, because he's trying to make the the woman in that movie fall in love with him, so uh, he dresses as Scorpion to to do that. Yeah, there's like. It's this is an iconic uh, character, and that alone is worth checking these out. But also, man, like you know, c- come for the iconography, but stay for like the awesome, transgressive, and yeah, you know, deal with the upsetting stuff too. It's it's a it's a really like stellar package. I mean, really, Arrow has done their homework and really loaded this thing with some great special features. If if you're the type of person that wants to learn more about the movie outside of just the movie, you're gonna get plenty on each disc um, with this box set. Um, oh, and, it, and it comes with a beautiful bound book, and I highly recommend reading the essay by uh, Chuck Stevens. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, which he has a whole bunch of references in there outside of these four films that, you know, if you're nerdy and into that, you'll really like. But <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Well, and, you know, we in some ways it's easy to knock Quentin Tarantino the way he is always sort of pulled from obscure, more obscure titles like this when he references in his movies. But in a lot of ways, I'm still, like, thankful to Tarantino because he's the reason I've heard of movies like this. And he he's always given me I, – I still like his movies. But I also get, like, an education and I discover new cinema from him. And, you know, wherever you land on the Tarantino borrowing or stealing sort of uh, spectrum, I think we all have to acknowledge that, like, he's sort of providing us a, – an, a, he's doing a great service, at least for – in my eyes to open me up and find these titles because I want to go back and find the stuff that inspired him and see how it all plays out. And, um, it's, it's, it's exciting, but also, you know, yeah, I'm I'm thankful for Tarantino. I'm not, I'm not going to knock him for that. I'm too. I I like Tarantino. I I don't love all his films. Uh, you know, but he, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that people are, it's, it's easy to criticize, but you know, and if anybody that writes their own things, you're you're influenced by something. Like you you something gave you an idea to create. And you know, while he directly takes things <laughs> sometimes oh, yeah. I mean, he does have his own stories too. It's not complete there 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 are heavy inspirations that you can see, but it's not there are his films too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's always trying to rework it in his own style. All right, so uh, awesome, man. Well, uh, like I said, I want to do more of these Blu-ray reviews or Blu-ray discussions on, you know, just really cool stuff like this that deserves to get championed. So, uh, you know, Nick, I'm sure we're going to do more of these. But uh, Nick, uh, of course, uh, you are a writer for Ion Cinema, but um, where else can people find you on IonCinema.com, but anywhere else you want to push uh, people? Also, Raging Bells on Twitter. Oh. All right, at Raging Bells, that's Nick Nick Bell on Twitter. And of course, yes, you can find him writing all, quite often at IonCinema.com. He's a prolific, you are a prolific movie watcher and a writer, my friend. You, 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 I'm in awe of your, your output every week. You, you make me feel like less of a film critic all the time. Oh, <laughs> oh that's not my intention, but thank you. <laughs> I know it's not. You're sweet for saying that. Um, and uh, yeah, man, thanks again for coming on the Playlist Podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds great. Thank you for having me. Makana, baranya, 
トゲがある刺したかないがささずにゃ燃える燃える燃える女の恨み」